You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Teaching of the Master by Brother L.G. Sargent Part 2 Chapter 3 Joy for the Mourners Matthew 5 verse 4 Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn are not those who are mournful, who might only wish to be seen of men to fast. The blessed are those who mourn for Zion, because only in God do they find a true resting place. Their home is in him, and not in the world as it is. And when his day comes, they shall be given the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I will restore comforts to him and to his mourners, is said of the man of a contrite and humble spirit, and is connected with the promise of reconciliation contained in the words, Peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near. The tears with which the Israelites sow their seed, described in Psalm 126, are caused by captivity or oppression. The laughter which afterwards filled their mouths is occasioned by the Lord's deliverance. There is a captivity which all the people of God suffer until his kingdom and righteousness are in the earth. They are the prisoners of the world, but more than that, they are in the bonds of sin or death. They are weighed down by the contrast between the glory of God and the evil of the world, and the weakness of their own flesh. And the symbol of the reign of evil is the downtreading of God's holy habitation. In the day when Zion shall be exalted, the Lord will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. They are strengthened now by the knowledge that their Lord is leading them to that day. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, it is the work of the anointed to comfort all that mourn. But to think only of a gracious return for bygone sorrows would be to miss the pith of the prophecy. The Redeemer who will come to Zion says through the prophet, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me. The giving of the good message, binding up the broken-hearted, liberating the bondsmen and prisoners, and turning grief into praise, are the work of God himself through one whom he has set apart. And that work has an aim and consummation for outstretching the happiness of men.
It is that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. The whole context of these words in Isaiah 61 and 62 is filled with pictures of earthly blessedness. Even the land itself is not a mere neutral mass on whose inert surface the building of the new kingdom is laid. Isaiah apostrophizes the city of Zion when he says, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. The Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Richer expression that never could be given to the essential poetry of men's vital union with one significant land. And the more intense the poetry is, the stronger and more tangible must be the basis from which it springs. Words from this prophecy Jesus uses as the foundation of his own words of grace in the Sermon on the Mount, as he did on at least two other critical occasions in his life. One was when, in the synagogue at Nazareth, he declared himself to be the anointed one in the prophets by quoting such part of the prophecy as applied to that stage of his work, and saying, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The other was when the disciples of John came with the inquiry, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Jesus replied by citing the witness of his works in the very words of prophecies from Isaiah, including an allusion to this passage, and ended by identifying with himself that tried foundation stone which, while a source of sanctuary to the faithful, should also be a stone of stumbling to Israel. When, therefore, Jesus takes his seat on the mount and pronounces, Blessed the poor, the meek, and the mourners, he does what he alone can do. He speaks as the anointed of the Lord, in whom the kingdom has come near. The making of the pronouncement is a messianic act. With all this in view, Paul can write to the Thessalonians, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. Eternal comfort came to the disciples through the assurance of God's purpose in the risen Christ. The time would come to these disciples who heard the words on the mount, when they would weep and lament, while the world rejoiced in its seeming triumph over the king of the Jews. But their sorrow then would be as birth pangs of a new joy, for he who was to be taken from them said, I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. The joy brought by the knowledge that the Lord had risen indeed 
was an earnest of the joy of the future age, when Zion shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. The Teaching of the Master, Part 2, Chapter 4 The Heritage of the Meek, Chapter 5, Verse 5 Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. While the poor are those who have been humbled, the meek are humble in themselves. They are not weak, but the teachable. And so the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Solomon says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but giveth grace unto the lowly. In these, the same word is used for the meek in Psalm 37, verse 11, whose inheritance of the earth is promised both in the psalm and in the beatitude. Meekness is first a disposition towards God an awe of him which results in confident dependence on him as righteous and faithful. But humility towards God has its effect in a forgiving and self-abnegating spirit towards men. That quality is shown above all in the example of Christ, by whose meekness and gentleness Paul can beseech the Corinthians. To inherit means to enter into possession. He that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land, and shall inherit my holy mountain, runs an illuminating parallelism in Isaiah 57 verse 13. The verb is interwoven with the entire history of Israel, and it draws its meaning from the promise that God will be a God to them and they shall be his people. Actual dwelling in the land is the literal groundwork of that divine covenant. This heritage, says Jesus, God gives to the meek. The people whose heart is not set in possession shall receive the everlasting possession, and this possession will be on the face of the land. Two consequences follow that those who are not meek and who now possess it will no longer be there, and that the hope of the meek is in a bodily life lived in material surroundings and not in the survival of death by an intangible ego. And with those very obvious deductions from a simple statement, we are face to face with the basic things in religious and philosophical belief, Things which determine not only our ideas, but what our objects in life are, and how we try to carry them out. The deductions become sure conclusions on reading this 37th Psalm, with which the sayings of Jesus corresponds almost word for word. The theme of the psalm, reiterated and expanded with the utmost varied imagery, is that the wicked will vanish as utterly as yesterday's smoke. 
while the righteous will remain founded and sured in the favour of God. It forcibly recalls the sayings of Jesus and of John the Baptist, that the tree which does not bear good fruit will be hewn down and cast into the fire, and nowhere else in Scripture, and that is saying a great deal, are the two radical ideas of the transience of the wicked and the ultimate permanence of the righteous contrasted more decisively. It would be easy to explore at length in the Psalms this idea that God will not forever suffer the righteous to be moved, but will bring the wicked down into the depth of the pit. The point which must be made plain is that this clearly expressed antithesis of the transient and the abiding rests on an equally clear teaching on what human nature is. To understand what the spiritual aims of Jesus were when he quoted Psalm 37 verse 11, it is essential to know what the words mean in their setting in the mental world of the Old Testament. The radical alternatives of transience and permanence are as truly the basis of his teaching as of the psalmist. For those who hear his words, there is either the life of the kingdom of God in the coming age, or there is utter destruction. The standard of judgment which decides their future, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, is the standard of the Psalms and the Prophets. Life is not a thing possessed as of native right. It is in the hand of God to maintain or to end it. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It is the reality of that stark opposition between death and life which gives such driving urgency to the gospel of Jesus. This opposition is implied in his blessing on the meek, for the words cannot be divorced from their Old Testament context. They shall inherit, was well understood in contemporary speech to refer to Messiah's day. In Zephaniah it is said that the remnant of the Lord's nation shall inherit the lands which his judgments have left desolate. And earlier in the chapter, this remnant have been addressed with the words, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgments. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess, revised version, inherit all these things, says Zechariah. While we are told the Hebrew terms do not necessarily mean to take possession of a paternal estate, the idea of the legal title as heir is clearly brought out in one of James' many allusions to the sermon. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him?
Peter's first letter also is permeated with the words of his master, and in exhorting the brethren to give blessing for railing, he adds, Knowing that to this ye were called, that ye should inherit a blessing. The fulfilment of the promise is in the vision of John. Thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The possession into which they are to enter is the result of sonship, because they are joint heirs with the Son. For he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my Son. The man who overcomes is the man rich in faith, because he receives the experiences of life in faith, he is humbled by them instead of being embittered. Because he sees the vision of God's glory, he mourns over present darkness. Because he worships God alone, he is not only humbled, but humble. The quality of life which he manifests is only possible because God is to him the ever-present reality. The character fit for the kingdom is exactly that displayed in the Lord's victory over temptation. He himself is the poor in spirit, and the meek one when he says, Man doth not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.